Welcome to the Hariraya podcast with Durgadasi. So I wonder how many of you, like me, find yourselves wondering, what's wrong? (laughs) Why am I so unhappy? Will I ever be happy? It seems to me that no matter how much we gain, even when we achieve or receive that which we've longed for and prayed for and worked for the longest, there's still something missing. Something feels mm, empty. In the spaciousness of our hearts, there feels, there, there seems to be this lump of clay, this heavy sorrow. And where is this coming from? I think especially during the holidays, especially during the holidays in a season, in a time, an era of pandemic, this mm, sense of unease may be a little more prominent. And oftentimes, again, if you're like me, you might find yourself just thinking, well, it must be me. There must be something wrong with me. I must have depression. I must have anxiety. I must have, it must be because of my childhood trauma or this or that. And all of these things are valid components of our emotional makeup and our mental wiring. Absolutely. And yet I can't help but wonder if it's because that which we seek is actually inside of the spaciousness of the heart. And no matter how many beautiful blessings life gives us, until we turn our gaze inward, there's always going to be a longing. We may pray for the perfect partner, meet the person who exceeds all of our expectations and still find ourselves feeling lonely. Even though we are completely in love, even though we are so fulfilled in our relationship, even if that relationship is the healthiest thing we've had in our lives ever, we can still feel ourselves contemplating this sense of loneliness and unease. Or maybe we've prayed for a child and the child arrives and yet we still find ourselves longing for that missing piece, something to make us feel whole. We thought that perhaps this child, that parenthood would provide. And then it comes back to this sense of, well, what is wrong with me? I know I'll leave this partner and get another one, or I'll try an open relationship, or we'll have another baby, or we'll get a dog or six cats. And it goes on and on and on because we're continuously trying to fix ourselves when the truth is we're not broken. I say this all the time because I'm trying to get myself to believe this. It's not a matter of understanding it. If we read the scriptures, then we understand. Hinduism, Sanatan Dharma teaches us, all great religions essentially kind of teach, well, maybe not, but Hinduism for sure teaches, the principles of yoga teach us that we are not broken, that we are whole and we are complete. We are the capital S self hidden within the lotus, the jewel of the the lotus of the heart. Buddhism teaches this as well. And so our quest as spiritual seekers on this journey of lifetimes is to turn the gaze inward. Our partners can't fulfill us. 
they can add so much joy and strength and support to our lives. But if we're expecting them to fulfill us, we're dooming ourselves, our partners, and our relationships. And we're putting far too much pressure on them. Our children cannot fulfill us. They cannot make us feel whole. This is why we see such a an unhealthy dynamic codependency developing between parents and children or the parents are too harsh and they're trying to get their kids to behave and be exactly as they want them to be because they need their kids to feel something within themselves that's not the child's job and all of this is said without judgment but with compassion going inward is scary looking into the void that 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 cosmic void of the inner realm that is the heart space that is the truest Devi or Deva Loka the realm of divinity our own divinity we find God by looking inside sure her fingerprints are all over everything all around us including our partners and our kids and our fur babies and our jobs and our homes and all of the blessings of abundance that we have in our lives whatever form they come in yes her grace the 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 fingerprints of grace and of divinity are all over our lives and so in this way we see the reflections of the divine all around us but to truly experience the divine in her wholeness in her purest form we must look inward I wonder how my life would change how our lives would change if we actually grasped that even for a moment that everything we seek is found inside our being now that's not to say that we don't need our teachers and our communities and our friends and our practices to to help us uncover that but it's not to obtain it it's to simply uncover that which is already there that which is already the indwelling presence within the the indwelling truth within each one of us when we think about the divine mother or if you consider the the Hindu pantheon of deities, they all have their lokas, they all have their dwelling places. But the mother, Durga, Kali, says that her dwelling place is within the hearts of her beloved, within the hearts of her paktas, of her children. And there are other scriptures that would imply that even in this lifetime, even in this moment, if we don't realize that we are her beloved, if we don't realize that we are the children of the mother, that doesn't negate the fact that we are. Whether or not I know Kali doesn't determine whether or not Kali knows me. The mother knows each one of us more intimately than we could possibly know ourselves. When the grace of bhakti is given to us when the gift of devotion is awakened within us that's when all of a sudden we become more attuned to her whatever form she takes in our lives whether it's as the mother or as krishna or as christ or whomever the universal cosmic self once the bhakti is awakened 
that journey takes us into that dwelling place. We come to know that there is something greater than our humanity, as great as it is and as essential as it is and as holy and sacred as it is, there is something greater than just this human existence. And so the mother says that her dwelling place is within the hearts of her children. Bhakti is what allows us to know that she's there. Bhakti, devotion, whether or not we call it devotion to the mother, that that devotion to know, to realize, to understand, the devotion to ourselves to get out of our pits of pain and anger and anguish and despair. There's something in our lives that sets us on that journey, right? Most people don't go on a spiritual quest without some kind of pain or some kind of driving factor pushing them along that journey towards spiritual awakening or knowledge or knowing. We need the hope that there's something beyond this moment, beyond this tear, beyond this heartbreak. And it is that hope, even when we feel the most hopeless, it is that hope that pulls us along this journey, the journey that eventually will lead us inward. Now, the journey may start very much outside. We start reading different books by different lineages and different traditions. We seek out our communities, our yoga studios, our friends, counsel. We sit in nature. We absorb those reflections of the divine all around us. And as we give ourselves the space and the stillness and the silence to sit with those reflections, we begin to see that all of those reflections, her eyes in each of these reflections are looking inward at, our, at ourselves, inward toward our own hearts. And that's when our journey takes another turn. And we realize that we've got to go in. This is where it gets really exhilarating and terrifying and absolutely heart-wrenching. Because as we're journeying into the Hridaya, into the heart of the heart, as we're seeking the mother in her most natural dwelling space, we can't help but see all of the things, all of the scars of the remnants of brokenness and cuts and slashes and tears and atrocities against our own hearts inflicted by others and by ourselves and by just life in general. We have to heal these wounds because the scar tissue is really, really thick. The emotional scar tissue around our hearts is so thick it makes it really, really hard for us to get into the tenderness of the Hridaya where the blood flows, where the prana exists where everything is pristine and pure and untouched and unharmed. But to get there, we have to excavate through all of the things that have kept us feeling separate from that space, feeling separate from the mother and from our own divinity. And remembering that that's just a feeling. Now, to say just a feeling isn't to invalidate that feelings are very strong and very real and are often accompanied by very physical manifestations. And still, it's just a feeling. It's just an emotion. In and of itself, it can do us no harm. 
when we can place our feelings and our emotions back at the feet of our practice, back at the feet of the mother, at the feet of our ourselves, capital S selves, then everything becomes an offering. Everything becomes pakti. And then she kisses it and hands these things back to us as prashad, as something to nourish us, to help us to grow, to help us to realize and to remember. And so here we find ourselves on the precipice of the navigation of these dark tunnels. The, the tunnels through the caverns of our hearts so that we can find the nectar of that hridaya. And as we're turning these tunnels, as we're excavating through this, as we're navigating through our life experiences, there's going to be pain. There's going to be remembered trauma, perhaps even repressed trauma. There's going to be remembering, the remembrance of hurts and pains and sorrows and losses and griefs. And there will be moments of pure elation and joy as we remember times of bliss and experiencing community and love and blessing. And then that might spark another layer of the sorrow because we're not there anymore. And perhaps some of the people with whom we share these memories are no longer in our lives. And these tunnels can, we can get lost in them. It can be hard to, sometimes we feel like we've been here before. We already went through this one. Why are we here again? And we have to retrace our steps and go over the same trauma or the same memory over and over and over again because it's just not healing. And all of it, all of this is okay. The key here is to give ourselves compassion to understand that there's no quick fix because we're not broken. If we can remember that we aren't broken, then we can maybe stop trying to fix ourselves. And if we can stop trying to fix ourselves, then we can realize that this is just a glorious part of healing, of piecing together. And these pieces, we're not piecing back together out of brokenness but out of an honoring and a remembrance of the parts of ourselves, of the parts of our lives that perhaps we've tried to discard, that we've tried to break away from. But every single one of these pieces is a part of our intrinsic wholeness. And if we can really sit and pick them up and look at them, just like we did with all those external experiences reflecting the divine, now we're at another layer picking up these pieces and allowing us to see her reflection of grace staring back at us. Not condoning, not excusing, simply allowing the grace to permeate every single experience and to realize that the mother loves us so much. It's unfathomable. Our brains, no matter how brilliant they may be, cannot grasp the love of the mother nor her methods When we find ourselves in bouts of unworthiness, that's when we get to use the sword of truth, right? That's when we get to call on the scriptures. That's why the study is important. The studying 
our teachers, our communities, our gurus, all of these things are so important because these are the tools that we use to uncover this truth within us. Remember, we're not seeking anything. There's nothing outside of ourselves we need to seek. Still, we need the right tools to excavate and uncover the, the jewel that is hidden in, our, in the lotus of our own hearts. Ask any gardener. You need the right tools to prune and to preen and to weed out and to nurture and to grow and to dig and to uncover, to discover. It's the greatest treasure hunt of our lifetimes, this uncovering of the jewel of the lotus, the Hridaya. You know, sometimes we're not sure how to be with all of this stuff. So it can be very, very helpful to have somebody guiding us through this, whether it's some sort of therapist or um, a religious leader or a trusted friend, because this is heavy stuff and we're not meant to do this journey alone, especially when we remember that we are all coming back home, the same being that, that is the true reality in each one of us, in and as each one of us. So allowing ourselves support, allowing ourselves human support, creating that sacred space around us so that it feels a little safer to really dive into the sacred space within. It's not about renunciating everything and denying ourselves access to our own lives or the enjoy or or denial of enjoying our lives it's simply realizing that the harder we grasp for, for things the more longing we'll be left with when we actually let ourselves sit and feel what we feel because nothing outside of us can satisfy and so we come back to where we were at the beginning of this time together i have so much I am so blessed and I still feel so sad or so alone. I do somatic work. We call it somatic experiencing where we take that internal journey and we allow our feelings and imagery to guide us through what's happening with our nervous systems, where we are in the face of our traumas and our fears and life experience. And recently I was having one of those moments where I was reflecting on all of the gratitude that I have for the many blessings in my life. And yet I still feel this longing, this sense of unease, of something's wrong. And I don't know what it is. And I've, you know, we can try talking with people about it. We can try talking with our partners about it, but sometimes they're just not going to get it, especially if we're in a a partnership with somebody of the opposite or a different gender. Um, Different genders absorb and experience things very differently and our brains are wired very differently. So sometimes they're not able to always understand us where we are. And all of that's okay. But I was having one of these moments and I allowed myself to kind of do a little somatic work within myself. And I felt the heaviness of this sorrow, of this grief, in all in the left side of my body, which is the feminine side, in my jaw, 
down the left side of my neck in my throat and then coming into the heart and in the heart it just felt very heavy everywhere else it feels very tight and and constrictive and then in the heart it feels very heavy and I sat and I did some of the somatic work with you know kind of what does it feel like what what does it look like if I were to paint it what would that painting be right I, I took myself through the process And then I asked it, what are the words that you have for me? What is the message that my body is trying to share with me? And I just sat quietly next to a tree and allowed the sensations to reveal whatever needed to be revealed in that moment. And what I got was something along the lines of this. Women must never speak of their sorrow and their grief which explained the heaviness in the heart and the constriction in the throat and up into the jaw on the left side. Women must never speak of their grief. And upon these words surfacing, I immediately thought of the women in my family and how much grief they bore, how many burdens they shouldered, and how we never spoke of it. Ever. We didn't speak of sorrows. We didn't speak of griefs. Whether it was the death of a son or a miscarriage or sexual assault or being cheated on or lied to, we just never spoke of it. But what we would do is turn it into sarcasm and jokes, and pranks, and laughter at the expense of others, and stubbornness and bitterness. Oh, but we would not speak of that sorrow. We would not speak of that grief. Somehow it made us weak, vulnerable. We certainly couldn't let the men in our lives see those aspects of ourselves. Our womanhood in all of its glory One of the things that I appreciate most about being a woman, a cis woman, a woman identified, a female identified woman, my vulnerability, my ability, my innate ability to be in tune with my emotions, to bleed, to cry, that is one of my greatest strengths as a woman. And yet somewhere in my lineage of mothers and grandmothers, we lost that. We chalked it up to disturbance, to weakness, to frailty, to subordination. We lost one of our greatest strengths by seeing that strength as nothing but weakness. That hardened the heart. The hearts of my grandmother, of my mother, of those who came before them, all the way back probably to the Trail of Tears. We have many ways of being that we learn from our elders who learned it from their elders. 
This is where ancestral trauma plays such a huge, very real, practical role in our everyday lives. How did our mothers or our fathers learn to deal with their trauma and their emotional experience? That was given to us. They learned it from their caregivers who learned it from their caregivers. All the way back to whenever the big ancestral traumas in our lineages happened, occurred. So why am I talking all about all of these things in light of the indwelling presence of divinity? Well, because as I said earlier, she lives in this untouched, pure, pristine part of the spiritual heart of the Hridaya. And to drink that nectar, to immerse ourselves in that soma, to bathe in the waters of realization, realizing the love that we are, the divinity that we are, the sat chit anand, the truth, bliss, and love that we are, the indwelling presence of the self that we are, we have to very tenderly very compassionately, very skillfully cut through all of that scar tissue of experience. Everything that tells us we have to be hard. Everything that tells us that we are less than. Everything that causes us to feel separated from that love. And if we bypass it, We've heard this term spiritual bypassing. If we bypass it, then we never get to actually drink. It's, it's like... It's like exchanging the purest, most pristine spring waters for dirty, polluted dam waters. It's artificial and subpar. There's no flow. There's no truth. There's no realness to it but if we're willing to do the work to dive in to see all of the things that we'd really rather not see to rewire the neurobiology of our brains those neuropathways which are so much more elastic than we previously thought we do this of course with yoga with meditation there, there are many ways we can rewire the neurological pathways in our brains but we have to be willing to do it and it takes work there's no magic spell there's no magic mantra as far as what I know which isn't everything but one of the things that I love most about my guru is that he never gives me shortcuts (laughs) he lights the path he illuminates the path toward Ma, the many paths toward Ma. He'll equip me with the knowledge and the tools and the support, and he lets me find her. The magic is my own to discover. He can't give it to me, and he doesn't try. The magic of who you are, discovering the mother or this innate divinity within yourself is yours 
to discover. I can't do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. But you can. And you have the tools. And you have the support. So I pray that this message has been one of inspiration. It's real. It can be discouraging sometimes to think about the long, hard road ahead, but it's not all hard. It's not all challenging. We get these beautiful respites of peace and joy and a remembrance of why we're doing what we're doing. And you know, one of the things about this journey, if, if, we're, if you're familiar with the story of Shumba and Nishumba in the Devi Mahatmya, then you know that two of the biggest demons that will battle will be, they're, they're both uh, egoic demons, if you will, egoic aspects of ourselves. But one is the ego of pride and arrogance. That's Shumba. And then Nishumba is the ego of self-deprecation and unworthiness. And both of these asuras, both of these beings will rear their heads as we are excavating <laughs> these pieces and these experiences we will feel the ego of pride and arrogance when we feel like we have been wronged and perhaps rightfully so feeling that way that we've been wronged and that until we receive the apology owed us we're not taking another step toward forgiveness or healing or anything else and then we come to a stalemate because we can't expect anybody else to meet us on our journeys where and when and how we want them to we have to be willing to go it alone. And that's when Nishumba may rear his head and make us feel so unworthy. Well, of course they're not gonna show up. They don't love us because we're not lovable because, because, because. So the invitation, my dear, dear friends, is to recognize these two forces within ourselves who are also a part of our human nature to not blame them or to be mad at any pieces or aspects of ourselves but to just to recognize that this is a part of the human experience I want people to show up for me in the way that I feel that I need them to but I can't rely on that and it's not because I'm unworthy it's because they're on their own journey and I'm not in charge of that when we can accept that, then we can begin to forgive ourselves and we can move a little deeper toward that nectar, toward that love, that truth, that realization. We can take even baby steps closer toward the Hridaya. Hariom Tatsat, Jaya Jagadambe Mataki, Jai Gurudev. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Hridaya podcast with me, Durga Dasi. It's such an honor to be a part of your journey. If I can be of any more service to you, please feel free to contact me, Durga, at durgadasi.com. You can also find information about private sessions, um, including uh, private yoga sessions and some somatic work on my website, durgadasi.com. I also have yoga videos and kirtan videos listed that you can enjoy for free. Donations are always appreciated, and I do teach weekly classes as well. Please keep in touch. Let me know how I can serve you and remain always in the knowledge and the knowing that you are deeply, divinely, and unconditionally loved. Jai Ma.